just in this atmosphere, I want to turn our attention to the word of the Lord. If you have your Bible with you, I would turn your attention to Daniel chapter 2. Been ministering for a few weeks around a theme of exile, kind of cross referencing between Daniel and 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. Peter signs off on his letter and greets them from Babylon, kind of a nod that he's in the same vein that Daniel is in. We've asked the question, I still hear pages turning, so I'll give you a minute. We've asked the question, how do you faithfully live for God in a setting that's hostile to your values? I think that's a worthwhile question. Because the truth of it is, even in the year 2023, we are a displaced people. But we can still take spiritual territory for God's kingdom. Exiles witness. They don't withdraw. We endure. We don't revile. We resist and we don't conform. You might hear that and say, how's that even possible? How can, I, how can a group of redeemed people maintain their integrity under the pressure of persecution? When the world hates you, how do you maintain your faith with grace and with boldness, with power? And the answer is found in 1 Peter chapter 3. I know we're in Daniel tonight, but I want to make the connection. I want to make a connection to the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us how that's possible, and it's possible when you have an unshakable hope in Jesus Christ. When we don't look to the things of this world for our answers of how am I going to make it, how can I live for God, we don't look to the world for those answers, we look to him, and we look to his resurrection. Daniel chapter 1 verse 17 sets the stage for what happens in Daniel chapter 2. I want to read Daniel 1.17, if you have your Bible open, you can probably uh, find it quickly, it says this, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding, singles Daniel out, Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So it sets Daniel apart. Daniel wasn't just good in all of the all the wisdom and all the literature of their day but he also God singled him out and he had the unique capacity to reveal visions and dreams and those skills come into play in Daniel chapter 2 now Daniel chapter 2 is 49 verses long i'm not going to read all 49 verses out loud tonight however if you're behind on some bible reading and you don't know where to turn to i would recommend Daniel chapter 2 this evening uh, before you go to bed. Daniel chapter 2, I'm just going to read the first three verses in the New King James Version. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. And the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. And so they came and they stood before the king. And the king said to all of them, I have had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Nebuchadnezzar was laying in bed one night thinking to himself, what's going to happen after I pass off the scene? He was just wondering have you ever laid in bed at night and just got lost in your thoughts? Nebuchadnezzar had one of those nights, and then he had a dream. And the rest of the chapter tells the story of that dream and how that dream almost became a nightmare for Daniel and the other people that lived around him. Let's lay our Bibles down right now, and let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Pray with me, if you would. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight. There's a witness of your spirit that's here, and Lord, we look to your word tonight, and we desire 
that whatever comes our way during our lifetime, that you would be the main character in our story. Lord, we don't have the wisdom or the strength to be victorious on our own, but with you all things are possible. Lord, I pray that you would let us be a light in this dark world and let us be steadfast in your truth during these very confused times that we live in. Lord, teach us from your word and press something on our spirit tonight. Lead us to a place of prayer to where we can be changed and shaped into your likeness and be more like you. Lord, we will give you all of the praise in the mighty name of Jesus. Church said amen. You may be seated. We had powerful services this past Sunday. On three separate occasions, three different people affirmed in one shape or another that crisis is coming and we need to be ready for it. Daniel was a person that was living during times of crisis. And the key to Daniel's success, being a person of faith during times of crisis, wasn't his gifts, even though he did possess gifts. It wasn't his popularity or his connections, even though he may have been popular in some circles and he may have had connections and known people that gave him special access. What gave Daniel success as a person of faith during times of crisis was that he had uncompromising character. Daniel's character made it to where his life was usable by God. Tonight, I want to minister from Daniel chapter 2 about the power of character in the crisis. Character in the crisis. You see, in Babylon... Even we who might live in a type of secular Babylon today. In Babylon, the person of faith has two roads that they will go down. They will either go down one or the other. It's true of Daniel and it's true of us today. Either whenever you reach a place of spiritual exile and you are not in the majority in your culture as we are today, you will have one of two things happen. Either that person of faith has a crisis of character and they start to compromise on things that God has convicted them about and that God's word commands them to do or they start to have character in the crisis because exile, one of those two things will always happen because here's what exile does. Exile always reveals your level of faith and it always reveals your level of character. not going to, it's, that's not the time to build up your character and to develop your faith. It's going to be revealed in crisis. What did we learn just a few years ago when our world experienced a crisis that we, that it had been a hundred years since the world had ever experienced anything like what we went through in 2020 and 2021? What did we learn? That crisis is not an incubator for character and faithfulness. But crisis is an accelerator of what's already in existence when crisis arrives. Whatever condition you're in, when crisis knocks on your door, crisis accelerates that trajectory. And we saw it, and we felt it. And we can look around the room today, and we can still feel the effects of what happened during that crisis. And I want to tell you today that the next crisis that comes and that meets us in our world and in our community, it is going to have the same kind of effect. It always reveals your faith and it always reveals your level of character. You know Daniel must have felt the pressure that day when he had heard what had happened in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 2, it was crisis time. It was a day just like any other day. Ordinary, business as usual. Daniel and his friends were in the final stages of their three-year training period. Or maybe they had just recently graduated. It was just a normal day they were going about their normal routines. And suddenly there came a knock at the door. And it was the captain of the king's guard, Arioch. 
who had now taken on the role of chief executioner. Because all of the wise men in the kingdom of Babylon had gathered to meet with Nebuchadnezzar and could not do what Nebuchadnezzar was asking them to do. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And the scriptures say that it disturbed him. It troubled him. Has anybody ever had a dream like that? Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that wasn't one of those dreams that by the time you've eaten your eggs for breakfast that you've forgotten all about it. It was a dream that stuck with Nebuchadnezzar and it was troubling him. It was disturbing him. He needed to know what it was all about. And so he called in all the sorcerers and the wise men and the magicians and the astrologers and the Chaldeans. And to make sure that he got the answer that was real, he set forth a challenge before them that was unlike any challenge he'd ever given them. He'd had dreams and visions before and called people in and told them what it was and they had given him, they'd produced an interpretation of some kind. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar had gotten burned. And he said, the last time these guys came in, I told them what the dream was, and they gave me some interpretation. It was a bunch of nonsense. And I let them off the hook for it. This time, Nebuchadnezzar calls them in and says, not only do I want the interpretation of the dream, but I'm not going to tell you what the dream was. You're going to tell me what the dream was, the content of the dream, and then I want you to tell me what it means. And if you can't, I'm going to kill all of you. That's chapter 2 in a nutshell. Well, I, can, I hear in the room right now everyone realizing what those fellas must have realized that day. We're in trouble. We're in a tight spot. They start to reason with Nebuchadnezzar. King, this is impossible. No one can do this. You ask too much. Nebuchadnezzar was not acting rationally. He was acting irrational. He said, that, fellas, I'm going to kill all of you. Somebody better step up to the plate. And no one could. No one could. Now, we can't talk about this chapter without talking about the dream. It has prophetic significance. And they can't tell him the meaning of it. They can't tell him what the dream even was. They can't tell him the meaning of it. And since none of the wise men can do it, he decrees that they're all going to die. And they begin to kill the wise men of Babylon. All these skilled people, all the astrologers, all the sorcerers, all the magicians, all the Chaldeans. They start hunting them down and killing them. And Daniel hears about it. And he asked Arioch, who's the captain of the king's guard, the one who is overseeing the command to exterminate the wise men of Babylon. He says, Arioch, why is this so urgent? What in the world happened? Like, this seems irrational. This seems like a knee-jerk response. All of a sudden, one day we wake up, and people are going door to door, and they're killing all, all the wise men, and we don't, we, we don't know what's going on. What's, why is this so urgent? What's going on? And Daniel and his three friends pray and seek God for the answer to this dream. And God gives them the answer to that. I'm summarizing chapter 2 so we don't read 49 verses. They pray to God for the answer. God gives them the answer. They rejoice that God has given them the answer. And Daniel goes and finds Arioch and says, stop killing the wise men. Don't kill the wise men. Halt the killing. Take me to the king. I have the interpretation for him. Daniel chapter 2 verse 27 is where I'd like to actually read a little bit of what the text actually says. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, cannot declare to the king. But there is a God. That's the phrase that makes all the difference, isn't it? There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Nebuchadnezzar, you've been laying awake at night wondering what's going to happen to your kingdom during your lifetime and beyond, 
And when you fell asleep, God gave you a dream that has significance and reveals those secrets. He says, and as you laid your head upon your bed, these were the visions. As for you, O king, your thoughts came to your mind while you were laying on your bed. What would come to pass after this? And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, you make known the interpretation to the king that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching and behold, this was, your, this was his dream, behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you. It was a statue, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, and its chest and arms were of silver, and its belly and thighs were of bronze, and its legs were of iron, and its feet were partly iron and partly clay. And you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, and which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were all crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them could be found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. The king had had a dream of a colossal image, a statue that had a head of gold Arms and chest, torso of silver. Its belly and its thighs were bronze. Its legs were of iron. Its feet were iron mingled with clay. And there was a stone, a rock that came and struck that image and crushed it at the foot level and crushed it and caused it to fall over. And then the stone crushed all the rest of the statue and ground it up into powder and it blew away in the wind, never to be seen again. And it, as if that wasn't enough, the stone that crushed all these other things grew and became a mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel gave him the interpretation of the dream and said, Nebuchadnezzar, this is, this is, the, uh, this is the timeline of world events that are to come. Scholars, and like I said, we can't talk about this chapter without talking about the dream. Most scholars agree that, that and, and Daniel said as much, that the head uh, of the statue, the golden head, was Babylon itself. It was, it was the empire that was currently in existence that Nebuchadnezzar was ruling over the known world. And then the silver uh, was the kingdom that would come after it. It was the Persian empire, the Medes and the Persians. And then uh, the belly of, of and, and thighs of bronze were the Greek empire that Alexander the Great would form and then would split into four different pieces and it would exist for a long time. And then the iron and the iron with clay, the Roman Empire and the divided nations of the world. And it was a timeline of everything that was going to come. And then there was going to be a stone that was created, crafted without hands. It was cut out of a mountain and that stone was the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it was going to sweep in, it was going to crush all of these other kingdoms and fill the entire earth. And the kingdom of God will destroy all the ways that we have divided ourselves. Human beings have divided ourselves along a lot of different lines. Nationalities, family origins, skin color, language groups, customs and cultures. And God, when his kingdom arrives in full and comes to fill the whole earth. It's already at work in the earth today, but when it fills the earth, it's not just going to be a destructive event, but it's going to be a constructive event. It's going to actually create a new thing. And all of the differences and all of the, the divisions that are satanic and that divide people up into groups and cause us to war against each other and hate one another and remain divided, those are all going to be done away with and God's kingdom is going to fill the entire earth. And it's going to be the ultimate kingdom. That's why it says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. I want to move on. I want to talk about some of the things that happen around that dream, though. Even though that dream has prophetic significance, and I want to encourage you to study it out and, and look into it for yourself, there's some, there's some actual action that happens around this dream and the interpretation of the dream and the things that are happening that I want to return to for the purposes of teaching tonight. When we live in a time period like we live in today, in a secular Babylon where we are not in the majority and the majority of the culture around us, especially the media that exists, do not, uh, do not agree with our values and do not uh, profess the same things that we live, 
it becomes easier than ever to see the difference between somebody who is a person of God and somebody who is not. And that's our witness. And if we want our friends and our neighbors and our family members to be able to see the difference, then we've never lived in a time that's better for that. We can wring our hands and we can, we can worry about the state of the world and, and I'm not too worried about it because I know who wins anyways. The positive side to look at it is to say there's never been a time where it's easier to witness. There's never been a time when living out the book of Acts in front of a watching world will get their attention and cause them to ask questions and help you have an opening to lead them to God. Daniel lived in a world like that. He was transplanted into literal Babylon. And there's three things that Daniel had going for him that caused him to stand out to where people could see the difference. And here's what they are. I'm going to tell you two of them, and then the, 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 two, the first two I tell you are going to lead us into the third. The first is Daniel's attitude. Daniel's attitude was different than anybody else's. You got to believe. They carried Daniel out of Jerusalem when he was just a teenager. And you got to know that if anyone was entitled to have a hateful attitude, it was Daniel. I mean, he'd been deported, pulled out, out of his homeland, re-educated, taken to a re-education facility. If anyone had reason, had the grounds to be upset, to be uncooperative, to have a bad attitude, Daniel could make a case for it. Daniel, whenever he heard that the king was in need of help and that all the wise men, everyone was being wiped out, Daniel could have said, I'm not going to help. I'm not going to engage because I didn't cause this crisis. The king was being irrational. He caused this problem. I'm not helping the king. He doesn't believe like I believe. He looks down on me. He thinks I'm nothing. I'm not going to talk to that man. I'm not going to engage myself in this. I'm not going to help anybody because nobody is willing to help me. Here's what First Peter, you want to make a First Peter connection? First Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Here's what Peter wrote to the elect exiles in his day and to us. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17, Peter writes, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh ones. I can't control anyone else's speech. I can only, I can only govern mine, and I'm not a super political person. This part's for free. I'm not a super political person. I don't follow it all. I don't, I don't get wound up about it. It's not good for my spirit. However, you, if I'm doing what I should do, you will never hear me speak ill of our leaders, our elected officials. I may, I may very much disagree with their positions, and I'll speak to that. You don't have to guess, but I will not run down Nebuchadnezzar. whether I voted for him or not. Honor the king. That, that's tough. That may be the toughest three-word sentence in the entire letter of 1 Peter because there's many things in Babylon that I do not agree with. But I refuse to have a poor attitude. I refuse to let the world burn down around me. And to withdraw. I'm going to engage. When I'm called upon, I'm going to engage. And I'm going to let my light shine. I'm going to be a witness. And I can't be a witness to people that I am running down all the time. I can't, let me say it like this, I can't be evangelistic and antagonistic at the same time. Not possible. Not possible. 
Daniel had the correct attitude. He had a good spirit. His spirit, something about Daniel's spirit is almost Christ-like. The second thing is Daniel's action. He acted boldly. When God gave him an answer, he didn't set on it, but he acted courageously. He says, I need to see the king. I'm going to act boldly. I'm going to act in faith. What he had was wisdom from above. It wasn't that Daniel got out a decoder ring and figured it all out on his own. He received wisdom from above. The book of James tells us about wisdom from above. Here's what James chapter 3 says in the New Living Translation. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. I'm talking about Daniel's actions. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is a selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For, every, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy, is full of good deeds, it shows no favoritism, and it is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. That sounds a lot like how Daniel behaved. You have to use your imagination a little bit with me tonight and imagine where Daniel was living at and the conditions he was in. And for him to have the attitude that he had, the spirit that he had, and to take the action that he did is pretty tremendous. Daniel's attitude and actions were byproducts of the third thing that I want to talk about, his character. Daniel's attitude and his actions would not have been what they were if it weren't for his character. Daniel had uncompromising, godly character. His character, who he was on the inside when no one else was around, had been shaped by God. He had not allowed his character to be conformed by the world that he was living in. And all of Babylon, as a result, was about to witness the power of of character in the middle of a crisis. George Washington said that few men have the virtue to withstand the highest bidder. And he was right, because most people have a price. But a truly uncompromising person, such as Daniel, is a very rare commodity. And that's exactly the kind of person that God is looking for to do his work. When it comes to very special tasks, when God is allowing very great privileges and opportunities, God is looking for somebody with uncompromising character. Realize what Daniel was positioned to do here. God was giving Nebuchadnezzar a dream about thousands of years of human history. And not just history for the sake of history, but God was, God was opening up a prophetic portal of his plan throughout the ages to come. The redemptive plan of God and how it was going to fit together and flow throughout history. God was opening up a dream, a vision for a man to see that. And Daniel... Because of his character, because of who he was, he was uncompromising. He wasn't going to, hear me, he wasn't going to march into the king's court and take all of the credit. God allowed him to be a part of something that big and that tremendous. That's pretty amazing. I mean, what if God gave one of us a vision and then gave another person among us the interpretation and it turned out to be about 1,500 years of world history to come. I mean, that would knock our socks off. That would blow us away. And that's exactly what's happening here. 
How does God find a person that's able to be entrusted with something like that? It's a person of uncompromising character. There's something Christ-like about Daniel's spirit. Verse 25 of Daniel chapter 2. Daniel has said, I need to go see the king. They're killing these guys. I have the interpretation. Take me in to see the king. I've got the answer. And so Arioch, the captain of his guard, the guy that found him in the first place, the guy that, he'd, that Daniel had asked, what's the big deal? Why is it so urgent? Daniel goes and finds that guy again. Daniel finds him. I want that point to be established. Daniel finds him and says, let me in. They march in, Brother Joe, and they stand before Nebuchadnezzar, and Arioch is standing there with his chest puffed out, and he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, I have found a man. Are you kidding me? Like, like he did the praying, like he got the answer, and like he sought Daniel out, which he didn't. Daniel sought him out. But here they are. Here they are. And Arioch sees his moment. He's going to get his moment in the sun. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar, I have found a man that's able to do what you ask. Daniel allowed Arioch to stand with him before the king. He didn't demand a private audience. He probably knew what Arioch was going to do. Arioch wasn't exactly telling the truth because Arioch didn't find Daniel. Daniel came and sought him out. But Daniel wasn't the kind of person who was worried about who got the credit as long as God received the glory. And Daniel's character made his life usable by that that part of his character allowed God to use Daniel even during crisis. The cornerstone of Daniel's character was what you see in that passage, that little exchange right there. The cornerstone of Daniel's character was that no matter what happened, God would get the glory. That's an approach that works all the time, anywhere. But in exile, hear me, when you're in exile, you have to have it. You have to have it. You have to have character. There, there, in the, in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, in that moment, two opposites come into contact. Nebuchadnezzar is the most proud and arrogant person in the whole kingdom. It's evident in chapter 4, I'm getting ahead of myself, in chapter 4 when Nebuchadnezzar stands out on the balcony and says, look at everything I've built. I'm the man. I'm the best. He's proud, he's arrogant, but standing in the court with him that day is humble Daniel, a man of character, a man who refused to take the credit. He, he, listen to what he said when he talked to Nebuchadnezzar. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, it's not because I'm the most wise person in the kingdom that I know this information, but there is a God in heaven. Nothing will undermine your ability to witness to the world faster than you trying to take credit for what God's doing. But when you let God have the glory and give God the credit, your witness to this world is going to explode and people are going to do like Nebuchadnezzar did because at the end of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar got down and he laid flat on the ground before Daniel and worshipped him. Because he knew that no man can do what Daniel has done. People that you, ne hear me right now. People that you have written off and that you would never imagine to come to God. People that you could never imagine at an altar of repentance. When you start to operate in character and attitude and action that is God-fearing, 
and then when God does something big, you give God the glory and the credit for it. There is something that's released in the supernatural that can break down strongholds of tradition and of, listen, they can break down the walls that are keeping people away from God. They can knock off the blinders that are on people's spiritual eyes, just like it did with Nebuchadnezzar. When you don't live so that you can get the credit, but so that God will receive the glory, it unlocks infinite potential for what God can do through your life. Here's what it takes. I'm still talking about character. You have to make God the main character in your life. I said it last week or the week before, I can't remember. It's easy to read the book of Daniel and to read it in such a way that you think Daniel is the main character. Daniel is not the main character. God is the main character. And Daniel had an acute understanding of that. It didn't happen on accident. Daniel could have been the main character. Understand? He could have marched into Nebuchadnezzar's court and took all the credit and written himself in as the main character. Daniel wasn't going to do that. And if we, we've been preaching about it. Brother Burke, I think you preached about, you ministered about yielding ourselves to God just a couple weeks ago. If you will yield yourself to God, say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, not my glory, but you receive the glory. I'm here to tell you that nothing I don't think anything gets God's attention faster than an opportunity for him to receive the glory. If you want to know what makes God tick, it's glory. It's glory. When God receives the glory, God, hear me, God doesn't pass up opportunities to receive glory. He doesn't. That's the kind of character that God will use. And it won't matter what crisis comes. God will be with you. Because God never passes on opportunities to glorify himself. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 50. This is God speaking. Call upon me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver you. And you shall glorify me. Talking tonight about the power of character in the crisis. I want to make some application before we before we close tonight. Romans chapter 15. There's a scripture that Paul clarifies something for us. He says anything that was written aforetime was written for our learning. He's talking about the thing the the events of the Old Testament. These things that are written in Daniel chapter 2 there's so many threads that we can pull on and so many things we can learn and, and things we can talk about. But there's something that we can really take away from seeing how Daniel behaves. Just because we live in a time of crisis doesn't mean that your life won't matter. You know, there's, there's a staggering number of young people today I'm not just talking about apostolic young people. I'm talking about young people in general. There's a staggering number of young people today that feel hopeless. They look, especially, I mean, apostolic young people can really be prone to this. They look around at the condition of the world today and they say, I, I don't even know if I can make it. I don't know if I'm ever going to make a difference. I don't know if my convictions and my faithfulness even matter. What difference does it make? And it's easy to get to the place because that's what the adversary wants to work you over and get you to think. And it would have been easy. Hear me, I'll make the connection to Daniel. It would have been, you, don't, you can't tell me that Daniel and his friends didn't have thoughts like that sometimes. Say, we're in the middle of Babylon. We're never going to see Jerusalem. The way it used to be, we're never going back. We're never going back. Mom and dad tell stories about the way it used to be. Never going to be that way again. That world is gone. That world is over. 
And these young people must have had moments of thinking, what does it even matter? Why don't I just fit in Babylon, make a name for myself? Hear me right now. Just because you're in a period of crisis, just because we look around at our world and we recognize that we live in a period of spiritual exile doesn't mean that your life won't matter. It's quite the opposite. You can make a difference if you're faithful. Hear me. Look what was happening. All the wise men in the kingdom were facing certain death. I mean, they had commenced killing them the way I read it. I mean, the decree was being carried out. It was a bad day. And the ones that hadn't been killed yet were staring death right in the face, just waiting on the knock at the door. And it was happening because Nebuchadnezzar had called their bluff. They were phonies. They didn't have any power. They were... They epitomize the line from Romans that says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That was them. They had kept the act up so long that finally one day it all came falling apart. Sound like the world we're living in? They've kept the act up for so long and one day everything came apart. They were about to reap the harvest of their wicked sorcery. They'd been living according to the wisdom of the world for too long. Now something had come around the bend when Nebuchadnezzar had his dream and wouldn't tell him what the dream was. and Something had come around the bend that they didn't have an answer for. And they were about to be destroyed. Because their answers that they always used didn't work anymore, Brother Walker. Their bag of trips, tricks was empty. All the talking points were exhausted. They couldn't legislate their way out of it anymore. And it was obvious now to everybody that they had no real power. And unbeknownst to the wise men of Babylon, Daniel and his friends presence in their world was about to save them because Daniel and his friends knew how to pray because Daniel and his I'm telling you you can make a difference because Daniel and his friends knew how to pray and hear from God and then they knew how to act courageously in the face of a lot of pressure and it came from a place of deep character And no compromise. Because there were just a handful of people in their kingdom that identified like that, they were all about to be saved. It reminds me of a couple other places in Scripture. You know, in Genesis, God would have spared Sodom if there had been ten righteous people. You know, I've heard it said before, you know what Sodom needed, Brother Burke? They needed a storefront church. And if they'd have had a storefront church, they wouldn't have, they would have made it. God would have spared them. They just needed a handful of faithful witnesses in their midst. And it would have made all the difference. Paul was sailing on a ship across the Mediterranean. They were taking him to Rome as prisoner. And a huge storm came out of nowhere. The kind of storms that still exist today are called nor'easters. And it, it, the, it was a tempest, and the winds were sweeping across the Mediterranean. And, and there was a shipwreck that happened. And it was the kind of shipwreck where everybody usually dies, and they never hear from them again, and there's never a trace of any of them ever, ever again. But because there was one man on that ship who was on a mission from God named Paul, everyone on that ship survived. I'm here to tell you tonight, you may feel like you're surrounded. You may feel like 
You may have heard the adversary whispering to you that it doesn't make a difference and that your character doesn't matter, but I've come in the Holy Ghost to tell you tonight that it does matter and you can make a difference and your character can be uncompromising and the people around you and even the world at large is going to be saved because there is a church. Just to drive the point home, I want to take you to Romans chapter 8. Paul wrote and said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation, that's everything that's around us, the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not on its own, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself, the world itself, I'm telling you, the presence of the church, you will make a difference. The creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's what it means to live faithful. In Babylon, there is wisdom from above, as James said, and it can be your wisdom for today. I don't know what it is you're facing in your world right now. I don't know what kind of trial or persecution or suffering or affliction or confusion that might be going on in your life and in your world, but there is wisdom from above, the same kind of wisdom that Daniel received, and if we will seek God, God will see us through. When God's people face a crisis, they must act like Daniel did. Have faith. Pray to God. Seek the wisdom of God. And when you receive the wisdom of God, act boldly and resolve that God will get all of the glory no matter what. Why is it so necessary to spend the night Talking about character. Because you can operate in all of the gifts of the Spirit. But if you do not have the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts will destroy you. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, is the substance of our character. Sister Kelly, if you would come to the keyboard. Daniel's character made him usable by God because he had character in the middle of the crisis. And in Babylon, you, everyone pointed themselves, you will go down one way or the other. The first way is you'll have a crisis of character and you'll start to question everything and you'll start to deconstruct your faith and things will start falling apart, and you'll start to be conformed to the world. And there's a process that we, we call sometimes it's backsliding. It doesn't happen overnight, but it happens little by little. The other road that you might choose to go down when you live in the environment we live in today is that you're going to have character in the middle of the crisis. I want us to have a time of prayer tonight here in just a moment, because I think someone's asking in their heart today, that question, why does it even matter? I'm not Daniel. My life isn't a Bible story. Just an ordinary person. I'm not going to have any books written about me. There's a story that you may have heard. I want to tell it just to illustrate one more time that you can and you will make a difference kind of a silly story, but it makes the point. You may have heard it before. The story of a young lady walking along the seashore who noticed hundreds of starfish who had washed up along the beach with the incoming tide. And knowing that they would soon dry out in the hot sun and die, she started walking and picking them up one by one and throwing them back into the ocean. And one by one, the starfish were returned to safety in the water. 
A nearby fisherman saw what she was doing, and they asked, he asked, he said, what are you doing? She said, I'm saving the starfish. If they don't make it back into the water, they're going to die. And the fisherman shook his head, kind of chuckled, and looked at the girl and said, you can't possibly save all of the starfish. There's so many, you can't even count them. And then he asked, what difference can you possibly make? The young lady looked down at the sand, picked up another starfish, tossed it into the ocean, and said, it made a difference to that one. There's people we come into contact with every day. Family members, co-workers, neighbors. God has his eye on them. God knows where they are. There's someone in this room that has the same kind of opportunities like Daniel had. We must have the character to meet the occasion. Can we stand across this room right now? Let's lift up our hands all over this room and close our eyes and just start to respond to God right now. God's word has gone forth. These altars are open right now. God can do a redemptive work in your life right now. God can strengthen your character right now. If any of what I've said tonight resonates with you even just a little bit, I would ask you to come up around the front of this room and find a place of prayer, find a place of seeking God, saying, God, if you can use anything, you can use me. Lord, my life, my life may not be a Bible story. There's things going on in my world, God, that I don't understand and that aren't perfect. And if I had a way of changing it, God, I would change it in a heartbeat. But Lord, it's in that kind of environment that I can be a witness and I can have uncompromising character. Lord, not rigid and hateful, but God, kind and loving and gentle, bold and courageous, Christ-like. Lord, form that in us. Form that in every one of us, God. Form that in us, God, so that we might be more like you. Lord, so that we can make a difference in somebody's life. There's a